Good to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm the pastor over uh, kids and students zero to eighth grade, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, pastor Jay is on vacation. He is far, far away. I believe in San Antonio. Uh, I don't, I don't know why San Antonio, uh, but that's the that's the place that they have chosen to uh, vacation. And so, uh, we'll pray that they have a, a very restful. Uh, great time while they're out there uh, in in San Antonio. It's always such an honor to be in here, and it's a it's a it's it's fun for me to be in here, especially during worship on Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm generally all over the place uh, in in the middle school ministry and in kids ministry and stuff. But I love getting to come in here and worship with um, uh, all all you uh, big adults and uh, in here the in big church and uh, where we get to be all adultish and stuff. And, uh, and so, no, it's a joy to be in here. Uh, I, I, love, I, I love the worship music that we did this morning, the songs, the, the hymn, the choruses. Uh, I'm, I grew up going to church my whole life. And so I remember when I was really, really little, most of the songs that we used to sing were, uh, most of them were hymns. And then as I got a little bit older, I remember about 10, 11, 12, we, we were singing we, we were singing a lot of, I guess we would call them choruses, and uh, the, the, they were, hymns tend to, hymns, hymns tend to tell a story uh, all the way through. A lot of them are longer, and they have several verses, and then those of you guys that have gone to church for a long time, you know, most of the time you don't sing all the verses. If you do, it's like a 10-minute song, and you go all the way through, but a lot of them tell stories kind of almost in like a linear fashion all the way through. Now, choruses, they are uh, a lot of the shorter ones are real, real short, real repetitive. Uh, they, you say them over and over and over again. I remember we sang one song when I was in youth group, and the chorus, the name of the song was Come Lord Jesus. And the words to the chorus were, Come Lord Jesus, Come Lord Jesus, Come Lord Jesus. And that was it. And so I remember singing it. We were in youth group one time, and I was playing guitar, and uh, uh, I didn't play uh, high school football, but I played guitar, and that was about the equivalent as far as finding a girlfriend would go. And so um, I'm sitting up there, I'm, I'm sitting up there rocking out with Come Lord Jesus, and we started playing that song, and so, you know, the kids are singing, and they're getting into it. After a couple of minutes of Come Lord Jesus, Come Lord Jesus, people start to zone out. I mean, it's, it's kind of it's getting a little redundant here. And uh, so we're sitting up here, and, we're, and, I'm, and I'm playing the song, we're singing the song, Come Lord Jesus, and then finally... After like 10 minutes, we'd been playing the song, and we'd been saying it so much and so much. After, after the kids had zoned out and, and started paying attention to other stuff, after 10 minutes, they kind of come back in, and they're like, you know what? We're not going anywhere. We might as well get into this thing. We sang the song for like 15 minutes, and by the end of it, it was such a powerful song that those words began to take on almost new, new meaning for us. They began to become, they were very repetitive, very redundant. We are in a series called Love Is, and uh, the writer of the book that we're looking at, 1 John, his name is John, and he is very different than a lot of the other New Testament writers. One of the New Testament writers, his name is Paul, and when he writes, he writes kind of like your hymns. He's very theologically brilliant and structured, and you can follow... If, 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 if you, can, you can follow him along all the way through and he kind of takes you from this point to this point to this point to this point. 
John, on the other hand, if you're waiting on him to say what he means and then move on, it's not going to happen. He is deliberately repetitive all the way through. And so we're in a series called Love Is, and um, the, uh, each, we've taken each chapter and put a word to it and said love is, uh, I think the first week was love is honest. And then we did uh, love is loyal. I did love is loyal in chapter 2. Then we did love is sacrificial, I believe. Last week was love is maturing. And this week uh, we'll talk about love is obedient. But if you'll notice, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about over the, over the several weeks kind of do this. And that's because the way John talks, he is, repeats himself all the time. If you followed along in your devotions uh, in 1 John over the past month, and you followed along with us, you've noticed that he, like, repeats himself. I mean, he'll say the same stuff. He'll say the same, almost the exact same thing in some varying way in three or four of the, only the five chapters. So he's very, he's, he's very repetitive. Uh, I want to look at 1 John chapter 5 this morning, uh, verses 1 through 5. And uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can read along with me, or it's, it probably will be on screen in just a minute. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Let me read that one more time. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. you got to kind of be careful when we're, when we're looking through. We're talking about love, and love is. And you got to be careful when you're reading through and you see words like obedience and commands. And our natural tendency is to immediately go, okay, what is it that God wants? All right, let me make this list of all these things that God desires. It all, you almost get a bad picture. It sounds like Jesus is, it sounds like my daughter, Sophia. We'll, um, we'll eat dinner and she'll ask for a popsicle. And I'll say, okay, here, you can have a popsicle. And then she'll finish her popsicle and she'll go, daddy, uh, can I have another popsicle? I go, no, you just had one. And then she'll go, okay, you don't give me another popsicle, I won't be your best friend. And uh, if, if a lot of you guys, some of you kids have done the same thing or something similar. Give me what I want or I'm not going to be your best friend. I'm out of here, Jack. I'm gone. Do what I want. That's, it kind of sounds like you get the, if, if you think that way in commands and obedience and that kind of stuff, it sounds like Jesus is saying, do what I say or I'm out or I'm out. But the whole context is love. The, the lens through which you look through the entire scripture, here is love. And this is what love is. I grew up going to church, and so when I think of list makers and rule makers, I think of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these, uh, were the teachers of the law during Jesus' time, and they kept the law perfectly, or at least they made it look like they did. They were very rigid and thorough in making sure that they obeyed the law and that everyone around them knew that, they, that those didn't obey the law. 
and they were breaking it. They had all kinds of rules. In fact, they started off with the Ten Commandments. When we talk about the law, you're looking at the Ten Commandments. And then over time, they added on more and more rules and more and more rules to the Ten Commandments. In fact, they added over 600 rules, 600 laws on top of those. And so six, 613 laws on, on top of those to make sure, just to make sure that everybody was following this list and these rules exactly how they're supposed to be. I actually, I had heard that they had made 600 laws. And so I went, on, I went and found all the 613 Levitical laws and I printed them off and I wanted to be able to look at them in here. And I have a list of all 613 laws. Are we done at the end yet? Good? All right. 613 laws added on to make sure that they are obeying Jesus or they are obeying God exactly how he said do it. But here's the crazy thing. This isn't even all of it. This, this isn't even all the laws. In fact, they thought, you know what? These 600 laws aren't enough. Then they went and they added on volumes and volumes of more rules and more laws called the oral law, and they just added on all this stuff that you couldn't even remember all the laws that were there. There were so many of them, so many rules and so many laws, and the Pharisees would go around and they would say, see, you're breaking that one, you're breaking that one, you're breaking that one, you're breaking that one, you're breaking that one. And Jesus comes along and he says in chapter 5, if you love me, this is loving God to obey his commands and they are not burdensome. Well, I'm sorry. A billion rules is pretty burdensome. It's, that's pretty difficult. But remember, John talks in circles. He's the chorus, he's the chorus singing uh, writer. He's repeating himself all the time. So look in chapter 3. What does that mean to obey his commands? Chapter 3, verse 23. This is such a neat verse. What does this mean to obey his commands? Chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command. Oh, this is convenient. Here it is. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So Jesus comes along. And the book of Matthew shows us that he arrives and he stands up in front of everybody and he goes, all of this law, all of these rules, all that the prophets talked about, I'm fulfilling it all, and I'm going to make an exchange with you. And here's the exchange. I will trade all of this stuff that, that seems impossible to fulfill and that you are burdened down with, and I'm going to trade it all. Here's your 613 laws, all of these volumes of the oral law, all this stuff for one thing. I want you to believe in me and to love one another. And that's the exchange. Here's this Here's this huge amount of work that nobody could complete. And here he did, and he does this exchange. He says, I want you to love one another. The problem with obedience, though, since we're talking about love being obedience, is it really only counts when you, when you don't want to obey. <laughs> it doesn't count if you want to obey. It's not really obedience. It's only obedience when you don't want to follow through and you don't want to obey. At least that's how I think about it. And so I've got... Uh, just real, real quick, three practical ways 
three, three um, to me, three difficult times that it is uh, that we are to obey the law of love to love one another. And, and they're almost like three red flags. Excuse me while I move the Levitical law. Three, three red flags of tough times that require just hard obedience to love. And I want to let you know what these are, uh, let, let you know what these are so that you can uh, know what to expect when they come. Three tough times that it takes to fulfill the law of love, which is loving one another. To do what Jesus said in the exchange. All this for this. Three tough times. Red flag number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Love is obedience in the mundane. In the mundane. Those times in your life where you're not at the top of the mountain and all things are going just completely awesomely. And those times when you're not at the bottom and you're not in the valley of the shadow of death and you're thinking, oh, this is the end of my life. I'm talking about the majority of the time when you're in the nine to five, daily grind, day to day, on and on. It's in those moments, oftentimes in the mundane where you go, man, I need, I need, I need out of this. Anybody in here who, uh, anybody, anybody in here, Facebook users, you love Facebook? Come on, admit it. Anybody in here, you're, you're out. I hate Facebook. You, let me see your hand. Okay. <laughs> Good. I, I saw this study on Facebook that said um, that there was a direct correlation between the amount of time spent on Facebook and the level of dissatisfaction with their life. The amount of time spent on Facebook and the level of dissatisfaction. Do you know why? Because you're at work or uh, at home, or you're just you're sitting on the couch or whatever when you're on Facebook and you're scrolling through on your phone or you're scrolling through on the computer and you're chilling out, but everybody else is at the beach. And everybody else is having the greatest time in the world. You're looking and everybody has this amazing vacation or they have this great off day or all their children are smiling and they're playing and having this glorious time. The dog is smiling in the picture and you're going, what is the deal with all these perfect, happy people? What am I missing out on? What is going on over here? What is going on over here? They call it the FOMO rule. F-O-M-O. It stands for, uh, y'all heard of YOLO? YOLO? YOLO. Okay. Uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out. And so people, people get the, uh, the FOMO condition in, in looking at Facebook, and you look and you go, well, man, that, God, that guy's family looks like he's got it together. Man, he just looks good. What, what, man, what's wrong with my family? What's wrong, what's wrong with me? No, it's probably not me. It's got to be my kids. No, it's my wife. No, what is wrong with my job? How come I don't, my boss doesn't let me get to do that? Man, what it, dude, that church looks awesome. My church doesn't do that. My dumb church. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? You look at it and, you're, and, and so, uh, so, so, you've, so you, uh, you're, in this, you're in this normal, a lot of times a big part of your life, the mundane part. Uh, or, or, what, or what I would call the mundane, just the normal day-to-day stuff. And it, it's, at, it's at that moment where you have the challenge to follow through in the law of love, to, obe- to be obedient and loving others, even through the mundane. 
Have you ever wondered why, I, I, I used to wonder this, why after Adam and Eve sinned, why God didn't send Jesus like right then? Have you, anybody ever thought that? I thought, why, why would you wait so long? We don't have to worry about Abraham or Moses or this guy hitting this big giant, you know, in the head or this other guy hanging out with lions in a pit. You just skip out on the whole, the whole thing. You just send Jesus right then, right? You just send him right there. You just skip out. I've always, I've always wondered that. You know what? God can make us understand some things over time that we never could have in a moment. God makes us understand things over time that we never could have in a moment. And it's in those mundane times that if you skip out on obeying the law to love through that mundane, then you will miss the revelation that God has at the end. If you love if you refuse to love others through that mundane part and stick it out, you will miss out on the revelation at the end. I was listening to the podcast of the first service that we did in the Love Is series. Pastor Jay preached it. It was kind of of an overview. And at the very beginning, uh, and I, I guess it was in the first service, he had asked everyone who had been married, uh, I think, less than two years. You guys remember this? He asked everybody that had been married uh, two years or younger, and they raised their hand, and everybody had been married I think 10 years and less, you know, they raise their hand. And he kind of goes through, and he gets to the group, and I believe it was 35 years and older. He said, anybody in here been married um, longer than 35 years? And all of a sudden, all these people started cheering. All the people that had been married for 30, more than 35 years went, woo, woo, and they were cheering. And they thought, whoa, that's wild, that's crazy. And he said, look there, you see that right there? He said, you can't get that without going through all those other years. It was such a cool moment. It was such a neat moment, even listening to it on the podcast. And, and it has to do exactly with what, with what I'm saying here. God's trade-off of laws with all this stuff that you are to do, he goes, I think this one will suffice, is to love one another. And the red flag of when it's difficult to love and it's difficult to follow through is through those mundane day-to-day -day times where you're tempted to just go, man, is something wrong here? Seems like, seems like everybody else has, has got more exciting stuff going on. And I'm telling you that you won't see the revelation and you won't see the end result and you won't see the big picture until you and I stick it out and love others even, even through that. Number two, red flag number two, love is obedience. Obedience in the broken. Obedient to the broken. Chapter 5, verse 16 says this. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. Our, our world is so broken. It's so dark. It's so messed up. It's so, it's, so, it's so messed up. We talked about the ways of the world and how wrong they are several weeks ago that Jesus had to send his own son to redeem all of mankind. It's so broken and so just messed up that when you and I receive the forgiveness and the mercies of God at that moment, we're set free, and it is, it is an incredible thing, but we're also given a mandate by God who said, I fulfilled all this stuff. I fulfilled all these laws. Now here's this one. You're to love one another. And, and being obedient and following the law of love to the broken is that once you've been accepted by God, you and I 
can no longer hold that love hostage to what and to who we think is acceptable. We don't have the option. We don't have the choice to decide for ourselves who deserves love and who does not. That's not our choice anymore. We've been forgiven so much. God has rescued us from so much. And the, in the tempting time, in the tempting moment, to ignore the law of love to loving others is in that time when we're dealing with broken people, us included. Those really close to us in our family, those at work, those at church, the temptation is to go, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not going to give love this time. I'm going to take a step back. It's, I, they, don't, they don't deserve it or I don't have the energy for it. I can't, I can't, I can't go there. And what I'm telling you is that you and I are now required to love without condition. Without condition. It's not our choice. The difficult moment is in that, is, is loving the broken because we're all broken. That's red flag number two. Red flag number three. Love is obedient in the unfinished Obedient in the unfinished. One of my favorite passages is the faith chapter in, chapter, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 goes through this long list of awesome, incredible people in the Bible. They are, uh, it talks about Abraham's faith, talks about Moses' faith. It talks about some guy named Enoch's faith who just, he was so faithful, he just disappeared one day. He didn't even die. He just went to heaven. He just disappeared. He gone. And, uh, so it's just this awesome chapter. It's talking about these people with amazing faith. And then as it works through, it starts to get to the end of, of all this list of people and faithful people. And it starts talking about those who we don't have names for, but who have been martyred for their faith at that time. And he said, those that uh, were fed to lions and those who were crucified for, for their faith in Jesus and those who did not receive, yet receive the promise. Their lives and the promise for them was left unfinished, and yet they had faith all the way to the end. And the Scripture uses this cool phrase. It's probably my favorite phrase in the entire Bible. And it calls these people, it says, These are men and women for whom the world was not worthy. They finished all the way to the end. They didn't even receive the promise yet until after they died. Their faith was so big that they were men and women for whom the world wasn't even worthy. And the time that oftentimes is just very difficult to obey the law to love others is when we're unfinished. Some of you are in the middle of a war zone at work, or in your family, you're in the middle of the fight, and the hard call, the difficult call to obedience is to love anyway. The hard call of obedience is to die to ourself and to trust Jesus, even when we, even when we can't see the end yet. 
that red flag pops up, that time where you go, man, I don't, I don't see the promise yet. I don't see the fulfillment yet. I, don't, I can't see that yet in the unfinished. Chapter 5 is the last chapter of the book of, John, uh, book of 1 John. It probably ends with the weirdest ending in the entire Bible. It's so weird. It, it talks about all kinds of stuff. John talks about uh, God is love and God is light and we're to obey him. And, we're to, and he goes through all this kind of stuff. And then at the very end, it says, verse 21, out of nowhere, he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's probably the weirdest ending. There's no summary. There's no benediction. There's no... He, he, doesn't, he doesn't end it with, and tell all these people I said hello. It's just, hey, keep yourself from idols. There's, a, there's this movie that came out several years ago, and if you haven't seen it, I'm about to ruin it for you. Um, uh, it was called The Village. It was, uh, it was a movie by M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. And uh, he, uh, it was, uh, uh, anybody ever seen The Village? The Village was, was, a, it was a movie. The setting was uh, in a village uh, in the woods. <laughs> and it was kind of like the 1800s-ish time. And so they're, they're growing their own food and they wear all these, uh, you know, the kind of pilgrim-esque hats. And, um, uh, you know, they farm for their food and they hunt for their food, but, they're, but they don't have a ton of land. They're surrounded by all these woods. And the rule is you never, you never go out into the woods. And so they've raised their families and there are several families that live in this village. And so the end of the movie, the, uh, there's a, one of the guys that's in the village, one of the kids has gotten injured and they need medicine. And so all the adults get together and the adults come together and they go, okay, should we send out someone to go get medicine? And it's really weird meeting. It's like, why are they, why are they doing this? Why are they, why are they getting together and, and having this conversation? It's kind of weird. And so they get together and you know, you know what? He's going to die unless we get medicine, unless we do it. So they take uh, one of the teenage girls that are in the camp and they say, we want you to go and we're going to give you the directions to go and you're going to go get medicine and then come back. But the weird thing is, is that she's blind. She's a blind girl, and they tell her everything that she needs to do. They give her her little uh, 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 package of, uh, you know, little food and stuff that she's going to go, and she takes off in the woods. And in the woods is supposedly this horrible monster that lives there. And that's how, what keeps everybody in the village from going into the woods because the monster's out there. <laughs> and so the girl goes, and she goes all the way through the woods, and you're watching her to go, and, and she goes through a couple of trials and finally makes it to this real big wall of vines and all kinds of stuff. And so you see her, and uh, it's this amazing picture, and she climbs up the wall, and she jumps over, and all of a sudden she lands on a two-lane highway. I'm sorry, I just ruined that movie for y'all. Lands on this two-lane highway, and all of a sudden it hits you, and you go, whoa, where did this highway come from? And then you see the highway, and you look through the entire movie. You think about all those moments all the way through the movie, and you go, oh, they're not in, modern, they're not in uh, the 1800s. They're in modern day, and they were doing that on purpose. They were, and you look through the entire movie through the lens of this girl is now on this highway, and it's actually modern day. It's crazy. And that's exactly, I think, what John is doing here, and he's ending it with, keep yourselves from idols. And the reason is, idolatry is the oldest, one of the oldest 
disobediences or sins in all of the Bible. It's, it's either substituting or just adding to what God has already revealed. Just adding to that. And John is saying, keep yourselves from idols. Look through this whole letter I just wrote you again. Read through it through the lens of idolatry. And he's saying, viewing your relationship with Jesus or grading it or judging it or or seeing where you stand in your relationship with Jesus in any other context that doesn't have loving other people in the center is idolatry. If you judge your relationship with Jesus on anything other than how you are loving others, you're missing the point. It's idolatry. You just made a giant list of stuff that you're to do. Obedience without love is just religion. If you're basing it on church attendance or your giving or how good of an upstanding citizen you are or how, what, you've, what you've done or where you've served or you did this cool thing at Servolution, or if you're judging it on anything other than your, how you love others out of that context, it is idolatry because it means that Jesus isn't at the center. You are. Jesus isn't at the center. You are, you know, the perfect example of Jesus. The, the perfect example of obedience is Jesus. There's this real neat passage in Philippians 2. It says, Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, Jesus, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Check this out. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And God's call to you and I is no less the same, but death to all our selfish desires and selfish wants. And his command, the trade-off, the exchange, is to love others. Through the hard times, the difficult times. Worship team, would you guys come back up? Through those moments, and you are to... You are to view your relationship with Jesus on that level. How am I loving others? Where does that, where does that show up? Where does that happen? Would, you, would everybody stand in here with me? Would you guys stand up? Where is it? Where is it in your life, maybe, that you have judged or graded your relationship with Jesus outside of how you are loving other people? Is, is, there, is there a place where that's happened? Would you close your eyes with me? Maybe, maybe you're in here and um, Jesus, is, Jesus isn't the center in fact, he's kind of, he, maybe he's gotten bumped a couple notches. Maybe you're looking at how you've greeted or judged your relationship with Jesus and you're looking at all the stuff that you've done and, and, and Jesus sitting in the middle. Loving others isn't in, in the middle. It's, it's something else. I, I would love for the opportunity uh, for our prayer team to pray with you. Prayer team, would you guys come?